turn off your laptop. We're on staycation. I'm on TotalWine.com. They have so many rosés, chardonnays, and proseccos. It feels like a real vacation. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Game time on the big stage Sunday night football. Welcome to the Hot Lot Podcast with Chad Jansen and Luke Oldways. Your go-to show for all things Broncos. All right, it is a beautiful night in Broncos country. It's time to huddle up. I am Chad Jensen, and with me is my good friend and co-host, Luke Polglaze. What's good, Luke? How are you tonight? I am great. I actually just spent the the evening teaching my uh, high school sophomore quarterback um, how to run Spider 2 Y Banana, so I am, I am very John Grudened up, man. <laughs> a, a Chucky favorite. Right on, right on. And for those who don't know, Luke is... Also a football coach. He's a football analyst. He's a scout. He also coaches uh, semi-pro football and high school football. So uh, the, the guy knows what he's talking about. But um, let's talk Broncos. They continued their winning ways on Sunday, emerging from the halfway point of the season at 6-2. and two. Now we're going to dissect their performance versus San Diego. Uh, but before we do that, understand, please, that this show is... is focused on Denver Broncos football, and you, our loyal listeners, have have been great. We've asked you to support the show by subscribing on iTunes and rating us and and leaving comments. Many of you have answered the bell, but we do still need your help. However you listen to the show, um, whether it's iHeart or iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, SoundCloud, please be sure to rate us, and wherever possible, leave a comment. All right, Luke, let's dive into Week 8. With their second opportunity uh, to play San Diego this year, the Broncos needed a a win at home, and they got it. Uh, They came out on top 27-19. Now, this is one of those games that kind of epitomizes the term uh, winning ugly. The offense was unbalanced and kind of disjointed. They turned the ball over three times, uh, but the defense saved their bacon despite losing defensive coordinator Wade Phillips midway through the second quarter. Um, Phillips was injured during Bradley Roby's pick six when Melvin Gordon kind of went careening out of bounds in, uh, into the, uh, you know, how old is he now? 69-year-old coach. So Phillips yeah. was, was subsequently taken to a, a Denver area hospital where he remained until late uh, later, I should say, Sunday night. So then we had linebackers coach Reggie Herring take over the play-calling duties while also having to juggle, you know, coaching up a depleted linebacker core that was without Brandon Marshall. But before we do a deep dive into this game, Luke, what were your thoughts on the Phillips incident and really just how the, the Broncos responded, the players, the coaches? Yeah, I thought they hung together remarkably well um, for for an inexperienced coach. Uh, I wouldn't say inexperienced, rather like, you know, a coach in, in Reggie Herring. Um, he's a position coach, which, you know, they're not always expected to have the ability to kind of step up if and really kind of call a defense, run a defense, be that voice um, that players can come to for support. Um, but, you know, he has been uh, an interim head coach uh, back at Arkansas in 2007. He's been a defensive coordinator before, so he has that experience. And I thought he called a very good jo- a very good game, especially against an experienced kind of veteran quarterback like Rivers. That is something that you just want to watch for in an experienced play caller. Um 
as for Phillips, I'm, you know, obviously wish the very best for coach. Glad he's doing well. Um, can I just point out, he tweeted, uh, this was yesterday. Yeah. Um, he said, they say it was a collision on the sideline, but actually I got run over. <laughs> what a character, man. What a character. Yeah. Son of bum is always good for a few good tweets, uh, in the, you know, during this, the season. And I'll just say this as well, you know, I don't think Melvin Gordon had the intent of trying to knock out the Broncos defensive coordinator from the game. And, um, and I'll also say that, you know, props to Reggie Herring for, you know, I don't know if you caught that quote, Luke, but he Kubiak reported that uh, he got on the, the horn a few times on the headset trying to get involved in what Herring mm-hmm. was doing. He told him to shut up and, and get off yeah. the headset. Yeah. I love that. But, um, Anyway, back to the offense for a minute. The Broncos totaled 324 yards as an offense, which doesn't really look bad on paper, but when only 57 of those yards came on the ground, you can see how imbalanced the Broncos were. Uh, Offensively, 38 passing attempts to just 25 rushes. Trevor Simeon, he had a few shining moments in the game, but overall this might have been um, one of his worst performances of the season. He went 20 of 38 for 247 yards, no touchdowns, threw an interception and lost a fumble. Um, but the Chargers defense dropped three or four errant passes that should have been picked off, to be frank. And ironically, the one interception that Simeon did have shouldn't have been picked off. I mean, the pass went right through Jordan Norwood's hands, popped into the air where Casey Hayward was able to snag it and, and of course, return it for a score. Um, but Simeon's two starts against San Diego, I think, have both been the worst performances of, of his young career. And Luke, I want to get your take on Simeon's game. Um, but before I do, I just wanted to play a clip of something I thought interesting that Gary Kubiak said on Monday. Um, but just to kind of set the table, he kind of, well, okay. Kubiak named Simeon the starter with a modicum of controversy in that um, <clears throat> he chose Simeon over a, a, an eight-year veteran in Mark Sanchez and an uber-talented rookie first-rounder that had all the fans, you know, um, support. Simeon is now 6-1 and one as a starter, and although he's done an admirable job, I think, for a second-year player, um, he has been largely conservative, and I think you could fairly say inconsistent. So up until this point, Kubiak has not been critical of Simeon publicly whatsoever. He's kind of had to... Um, you know, in a coach's way, protect his decision, I think, to roll with Simeon while also trying to protect his confidence and and nurture him along. But on Monday, Kubiak was asked about his decision to um, to pass on attempting a 64-yard kick to, to end the second half. And it wasn't a question about Simeon per se, but Kubiak's response focused on Simeon in kind of a critical manner. Let's take a listen just real quick. Coach, how close did you come to kicking a field goal at the end of the first half? From that distance, uh, that concerned me because obviously you're moving, you know, if you don't make it, you're moving the ball even further back uh, the other way for them. Uh, I liked our play call. You know, we got, we went, we went aggressive, tried to get the ball down the field. They blitzed us. You know, like I talked to Trevor during the game, he's got to give us a chance to make that play. It's fourth down. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, a miss right there does us any good. So give us a chance to make that play. So I was trying to talk to him about after the play. All right, so, you know, it's not like he's he's ripping uh, Simeon there, but it really is the first time we've heard him be critical or negative about Simeon publicly. And, in fact, later in the presser, Luke, Kubiak even elaborated uh, a little bit more on Simeon, basically saying essentially that he has eight more big games coming up and then he really has to continue to improve. 
And it seems to me that the message he's sending ever so subtly is that kind of the honeymoon phase is over. It's time to start showing some real improvement as Denver's starting quarterback, you know, take some accountability over the offense's inconsistency. What are your thoughts on, you know, Kubiak's words and, of course, your analysis of Simeon's performance in Week 8? Yeah, well, I don't even think it's that much of a subtle message. He really is kind of like, okay, well, at this point we're, you know, we're eight games into the season. We're halfway through the 2016 season and we need to get ourselves in gear. Um, you know, this is a team that is six and two and yet they have a quarterback who again on Sunday against the chargers was just incredibly inconsistent. Um, he'd make a great pass one moment and then just look lost within the confines of the offense. The next, uh, his placement was poor. Um, so this is a guy who really, um, doesn't have a window to learn uh, and kind of adapt. He has to be great. Now they need him to be great. Now, if they want to make the playoffs, if they want to hold on to this division lead. Um, and really, that's something that Simeon hasn't really kind of shown that he can firmly grasp uh, just yet. Um, he's had his moments of, you know, extended moments really of greatness, um, but nothing consistently you can say, okay, yes, this is the guy for more than a game, um, which is problematic. Um, you've got other teams out there, uh, obviously, who are in similar places who also have quarterbacks who are, you know, who are young, but they're putting it together far, far quicker than Simeon. Uh, and for a guy who's touted to be cool under fire and who processes the game incredibly well mentally, which are kind of two of his really the biggest pros that you see touted about him, he kind of has failed to show those in some respects. Yeah, and you you can tell that Kubiak and the Broncos really are frustrated right now with, with what's going on offensively. They went 5 of 15 on third down uh, against San Diego. They can't run the ball consistently, and we saw that play out on Sunday. Kubiak's offenses traditionally have always kind of hanged their hats on, on balance, and yet we see the Broncos open up the game on Sunday passing on 15 of their first 20 plays. Um, the Broncos, again, only managed 57 rushing yards. It came on 25 attempts, which is terrible. And then, of course, though, you have to also factor in that Andy Janovich played um, with kind of a dinged-up hand. He had a club cast on it. Um, but again, we see no commitment, really, to the running game. Luke, um, how can this offensive line and the running backs get into a groove and build chemistry um, when the Broncos open the game throwing the ball so often and, and showing no commitment to that aspect of the game? Well, the kind of the flip side is you know when you have a team that's so committed to the pass well pres you know presumptively or pre presumably there's the word i'm looking for um presumably you know the passing game would open holes for the run game um you know that's just the way it is that when a team tends to like tip their hand more than one way when they like to go out and throw the ball you know 30 40 times a game that those run plays will you know they'll gain a little bit more right. yardage just Kinda because like the team we, is expecting the pass like we saw with peyton manning all those years right exactly um but you know the broncos just can't throw the ball which means that teams can sell out, they can stack the box, um, they can stop the run, uh, get after the passer because they know Simeon's not going to beat them deep. And that's kind of the issue with Simeon is, yeah, he works underneath very well, but when teams take away the underneath and he doesn't have a run game, he can't create. Right. That's a great observation. We're not seeing him um, create. And, you know, he has Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, and, you know, relating that to Sunday's game, 
They were quiet statistically, really, um, but they both did come up with a couple of huge catches. For Thomas, you know, he reeled in that deep ball down the left sideline that was heavily contested um, by the defensive back, kind of showcasing a my ball mentality and, and great body control securing the catch out of bounds. Sanders, he went horizontal down the right sideline, diving in, you know, to, to secure a pass that was slightly overthrown. But Simeon had five attempts of 20 yards or more and he completed three of them for 108 yards. He was trusting his big play receivers, I think, a little bit more, and that's a good thing. But we also saw Jordan Taylor pick up a huge third down on Denver's opening drive, a a long catch and run. And then Jordan Norwood, again, drawing attention in a negative way um, by causing that that pick six. So the Broncos have arguably the best receiving duo uh, in the league with Thomas and Sanders. But on third downs and in the red zone, Luke, it feels like um, defenses are kind of keying in on on Thomas and Sanders. And Simeon and the Broncos have yet to really exploit that by by going somewhere else. Who can be that um, reliable target on third down and, and in the red zone? Could it be Virgil Green? Could it be maybe the newcomer, A.J. Derby, who the team is very high on? Well, I think that's part of the issue is so far on third downs um, – the Broncos, they'll they'll try and push the ball, but what Simeon end up, ends up doing really is, you know, he's he looks downfield and he just checks it off underneath to the running back. So wherever wherever the play is designed to go, it's not getting there. And we've seen, you know, time after time this season on plays of third and seven, third and eight, K- Simeon consistently throws short of the chains. Yep. And it's okay to do that when it's second and seven, second and eight, when you can, you know, get it underneath, let your guy make a play, pick up some yardage, but on third and seven, third and eight, sooner or later, you have to take those shots. You have to start putting that ball in there and just ripping it in there. And you can't, you can't throw short. And, you know, the Broncos obviously have players designed on those routes that they want to get open, but he's just not taking those shots. You know, and I don't want to spend too much time on the offensive line's performance, Luke, but after coming together really against Houston and, and leading the way to 190 yards rushing, I didn't expect them to take quite that big of a step backwards against San Diego. So, I mean, Simeon was under pressure quite often, even though the Chargers blitzed him only 12 times out of his 28 dropbacks. The blitz wasn't the problem. Simeon actually, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, played better when the Chargers blitzed him with 116.7 rating. The problem, I think, was the pressure that San Diego was able to generate without blitzing. Your boy, um, Joey Bosa, he was a big factor, as was Melvin Ingram, who strip-sacked Simeon. And, you know, the Broncos' offensive line didn't seem to really have an answer. And granted, they only allowed that one sack, but there were several big hits on the quarterback and and consistent pressure. What do you think it's going to take, Luke, for this O-line to turn the ship around? Do you think this is just a level of play? Is it just something we should expect and and come to terms with moving forward? Well, I think part of that is just, I think part of it on a certain point as a coach, you have to do something to alleviate that. Um, if If your offensive line is not holding up for the deep shot, you have to mellow the play calling down a bit, you know, throw a screen, call slants, call hitches, anything to get the quarterback to gather the ball, get it out quickly um, so that they don't have to block because that will create a pass game that that stresses the linebackers and the secondary um, underneath, which again plays to Simeon's strength. Um, but, you know, it, it allows the quarterback to get the ball in the hurry and an offensive line um, is less likely to surrender immediate pressure. Um, effectively, defensive linemen have to come off and get their hands up for the quick pass. Right. So 
you know, that's, you know, at this point, it's eight games in. We're half a season through. This is what we have to live with at this point. And it's now on the coaches who have to say, okay, what are we going to do schematically? How are we going to work with this? How are we going to work around this? And even though this is obviously a key weakness, we still have to be able to run this offense. So what can we do now, knowing we know this, um, to work around it? Right. And and Kubiak has talked about, um, you know, over the last couple of days after the game, after the win, and then and on Monday, talked about, um, you know, that the coaches can and, and need to do more to help this embattled offensive line. So, you know, Luke just offered up several things that could probably help out. We'll see what they're able to do um, this coming week. But let's turn to the defensive side of the ball, Luke. So, you know, we have Wade Phillips. He leaves the game right after the Broncos uh, had taken the ball away from San Diego. They put six points on the board about midway through the second quarter. Then the Orange Rush goes on to snag two more interceptions. They sack Phillip Rivers four times. Um, and San Diego entered week eight as the number two scoring offense. They were averaging 29.4 points per game, but Denver held them to 10 points below their average. So the Broncos, you know, they did give up a few um, bad plays in the passing game, but one of them was an otherworldly, you know, circus catch by Travis Benjamin for that touchdown. But Phillip Rivers, he finished with 267 passing yards on 47 attempts. The Broncos' defense uh, were, of course, without Aqib Tlaib, who was dealing with a lower back issue, and, a, and Brandon Marshall, who had a hamstring, which gave Kayvon Webster an increased opportunity, but then he tweaked his own hammy, um, forcing the Broncos to call on the second-year DB uh, Lorenzo Doss. Doss responded, as did Bradley Roby, who had to step up in place of Tlaib. But what were your thoughts, Luke, on how Denver did you know, defending the pass on Sunday and specifically what were your thoughts on Lorenzo Doss? Yeah, so I think this game was kind of a classic example of uh, what the Broncos like to do defensively, which, you know, it's important when you have a coach go down injured like that, that you have um, the next guy up who still understands that philosophy, that mantra, and really calls a similar type, you know, game to what we would have expected from Wade Phillips. Anytime you have this defense come in, you know, force three interceptions, um, gets multiple sacks, that's what you're looking for. You want to kind of create havoc in the backfield to get those turnovers downfield. Um, Lorenzo Doss uh, did surrender that touchdown, I believe it was, to Travis Benjamin. Um, and But he made up for it with a great play on that fourth down, um, you know, inside the 10. And that really, you know, that, you know, you can look at that as having won them the game. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, he was up and down, which you'd expect from a young player. But there's there's room to work there. Yeah. In his defense, he did get a tip on that ball that Benjamin um, was able to corral. So I thought it was, it was definitely uh, encouraging to see him after that was the first game this year that he's even suited up. So good for you, Doss. Let's hope we can, you know, see you continue to improve and hopefully earn some more playing time. But. Let's talk about T.J. Ward, Luke. He really struggled in coverage. It's obviously not his forte. We've talked about it before. He was targeted seven times by Phillip Rivers and relinquished six receptions for 87 yards and a touchdown, and that touchdown came at the hands of a tight end, Antonio Gates. Now, according to Pro Football Focus, when Rivers targeted Ward, he had a QB rating of 118.5. Why, Luke, do the Broncos have such a difficulty defending the tight end? Well, part of that is that you've got right now in the NFL, if you're to ask anybody, you know, position by position, 
who is the who are the greatest athletes in the league right now? And I think you'd have, well, if, first of all, if you asked any special teams coach, they're going to tell you the punter's the best athlete on the field. <laughs> if you ask, you know, if you ask a position coach, he's going to, you know, oh, well, Patrick Peterson, uh, you know, Chris Harris Jr., like we've got some great athletes at cornerback. But really, to me, I would say edge rusher, obviously, you've got some absolute freaks getting after the quarterback. Yep. But if you look at tight end, you know, you've got Rob Gronkowski, who is an absolute monster at tight end. Um, and then you've got guys like Antonio Gates, who, by the way, I don't know if you actually heard this. Um, he actually played basketball in college. <laughs> get this. Um, but, you know, you've got you've got big guys who are athletic. They can go up and get the ball. So it's it's automatic that, you know, teams are going to struggle to cover them um, because they're athletic freaks in a lot of circumstances. Uh, and historically, the Broncos have just they've struggled against that they like to you know have guys who can run and hit um at linebacker but that doesn't mean they're good in coverage um last year they really used david bruton jr as kind of a matchup guy um on tight ends he obviously left in free agency to washington um and so they i think they they drafted justin simmons with that role in mind of being that tight end guy um but he's not there yet and so they're kind of stuck with tj ward who's really just a linebacker miscast as a defensive back. Um, he's, you know, he's a thumper. He's not a coverage guy. And he's only five foot ten. you know, going up against right. trying to defend these big-bodied mega-athletes that, you know, are six foot five and six foot six. So, yeah, I mean, until, until Justin Simmons gets to a point where the game is slowed down enough, you know, he, he understands what's going on. He's not thinking as much on the field. Maybe that's what we're just left with. Right. And you, you, you're kind of stuck as a coordinator with like, okay, well, it, my comparable athlete or my edge rushers, right? Like I could, you know, you saw the Broncos do this. This was several years ago against the Patriots. Um, Gronkowski went in motion uh, and lined up by himself outside on the formation and the Broncos walked Von Miller out over him. Right. And that's your, that's your alternative. If you want to match athleticism with athleticism, you would put, you know, pre uh, presumably your best athlete defensively on him sure. which for the Broncos would be Von Miller but then he's not getting after the passer we know he's not he's not used to coverage he just looks awkward mm -hmm. so really defensive coordinators are just stuck because these guys are such hard matchups it's a rock and a hard place um you know and the football gods they 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 taketh away Aqib Tlaib they taketh away Brandon Marshall but they giveth DeMarcus Ware Denver's defensive captain finally saw uh, some game action on Sunday, the first time since fracturing his forearm in week two. And I thought he gave the Broncos' pass rush um, a little bit of a boost. Von Miller talked about it after the game, where had that strip sack that was overturned, um, and then four QB hits on just 26 snaps. That's great production. But how do you think Ware looked, Luke, uh, to you in his first game back? Yeah, he looks, you know, much the same as he always has. He just he kind of steps back on the field and you just you know DeMarcus Ware is back. High effort, high competitive guy, highly competitive. Um, you know, he's going to he's going to get to the quarterback or he's going to pat you on the back when you do. Yeah, and he was he, I think he's he was also instrumental in the Broncos, you know, keeping their composure when they lost Phillips, not to make too much of a big deal about that, but I think some of the struggles we've seen with the Broncos uh, over the last several weeks defensively, um, you know, you can chalk up to missing the leadership and the experience and the composure uh, of 
a veteran uh, like Demarcus Ware. So it's great to have him back in the in in the saddle. And it, you know, just a quick aside. Every week, the Broncos send out uh, a release packet for the upcoming game uh, to the media. It has all kinds of good stuff in it. Uh, one of the choice nugs in this week's release, Luke, that I did not realize involves Derek Wolf. Um, according to the Broncos, I haven't done my own research on this, but we'll take them at their word. Wolf ranks second in the NFL with 15 quarterback hits this year. He has four and a half sacks on the season um, as a five-tech defensive end. And it's easy to overlook at times, you know, perhaps the impact that Wolf has on Denver's defense, both in the running game, I think, and rushing the passer. And that extension that Wolf constantly characterizes as a as the haircut he took, that hometown discount, um, this past January, it's looking really good for the Broncos. What what makes Derek Wolf so good, Luke? Is he one of the the elite five techs in the NFL up there with your, you know, your JJ Watts and your Muhammad Wilkerson's? Yeah, I think at this point you really do have to say that he is right up there. Um, Derek Wolf, he just plays nasty. I mean, this guy is a true trench lineman. Um, There was a story from last week about him. Um, He was trying to get after the quarterback. I I think he like tripped or something, banged his hand on Jared Crick uh, on his helmet, just dislocates his thumb, and he just he said something about, yeah, I lay there for about a minute, then popped my thumb back in and got up. Like. (laughs) This guy, you know, he plays nasty. He plays like a defensive lineman. You really should with that kind of evil energy. And he's just, you know, so hard to block. At this point, he has to be one of their, uh, one of your top five techs. And, you know, for a guy who kind of was just cast inside for many years in a base 4-3 defense, he is really thriving in this one gap uh, slanting 3-4. And he will eat your children so watch out for that opposing quarterbacks be aware the broncos philip rivers has plenty of them (laughs) yeah yeah he can afford to lose one or two to feed Derek wolf you know it's no big deal um but the broncos allowed the first 100 yard rusher in many moons on sunday melvin gordon finished with 111 yards on 23 carries and he came close to 100 yards in week six coming just six yards shy the broncos are still struggling to stop the run but we did see a lot of Corey Nelson, who started in place of Brandon Marshall. He played 77 snaps on Sunday, uh, tallying five tackles, um, only one of which was solo. And, of course, he had a, a pass defense. But, Luke, what were your thoughts before we tie this game up with a bow, put it in the rear view? What were your thoughts on Corey Nelson's performance in spot duty? And, of course, you know, any insight on the struggles to stop the run? Yeah, I think part of the struggles to stop the run, you know, honestly, at this point, it's just kind of a personnel thing. Um, Jared Crick has struggled in spots against the run this year. Uh, I don't think the the Adam Gotsis has really um, come along enough to, to play that spot. Um, Billy Wynn, actually, I think has impressed me more than any other unsung defensive lineman so far this year. Um, Nelson, I thought looked pretty solid. Uh, I, I, you know, I think the, the downgrade from, from Brandon Marshall was pretty, I think noticeable out there. Um, really I was more impressed with anything that Todd Davis kind of filled in the green dot that, you know, the helmet mic role, um, and kind of just carried that one out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, real quick before we go to break, uh, let's, let's go and focus. We'll kind of flip it around a little bit this week. Let's talk about uh, Denver's decision 
to stand pat at the trade deadline. Uh, the deadline, of course, was Tuesday afternoon. The Broncos did not make a move uh, beyond trading for tight end A.J. Derby last week. There was kind of an inordinate amount of chatter, you know, that is typical to this time of year in the blogosphere about wish list guys that the Broncos, quote unquote, should go after. And, you know, we heard the same old Joe Thomas tro- uh, tropes. I heard people talking about the idea going after um, Sheldon Richardson. And there's no doubt the Broncos are lacking uh, on the offensive line in terms of execution. I'm not sure it's a personnel thing. I think it's an execution thing. But, of course, they're not doing well against the run either. So I understand why some fans and media uh, types would put guys like Thomas and Richardson on the wish list. But the Broncos have one of the deepest and most talented rosters in the NFL. So we can probably rest assured that John Elway fielded a few calls from teams, just kind of checking in on the availability of certain guys. And as he said in the past, Elway's always willing to listen Um, But that doesn't mean he's going to pull the trigger. Now, Luke, the Broncos, ultimately, they did not make a move. You know, while we see New England trade Jamie Collins to Cleveland, um, were you disappointed at all by Denver's decision to stab Pat? Were there any players out there specifically, you know, realistic options that you were perhaps pining for? You know, I don't think I was really disappointed at all. Every every year the NFL trade deadline approaches and we hear all these talks about, oh, you know, such and such a big, big name is going to get traded. And then uh, you hear these rumors just coming like the Philadelphia Eagles being rumored to t- having talked to just about every team in the league for a wide receiver. And, you know, nothing ever really materializes. You'll get like you know, classic example of this year, Jonathan Banks getting swapped for a 2018 seventh round pick, you know, yeah, peanuts for uh, almonds, you know, just like flip flopping little things that, you know, you don't really care that much about and you'll, you'll just like, okay, sure. You know, what, what, what can we get out of this? Um, I thought that the Jamie Collins trade was entirely unexpected. Yeah. Um, I was very much taken aback by that. Uh, I I understand the rationale for New England. Um, I understood the rationale for Cleveland based on the original compensation. I've since seen that it's a 2018 fourth rounder, at which point it makes no sense to me. Um, oh, it was a fourth rounder. I thought I'd read it was a third. That's it's. I believe it's a conditional th- third. That oh, if if the Browns were to receive a. Uh, uh, compensative third round pick that it would be a third but if they did not receive that it would be a fourth yeah well I mean that weakens the Patriots defense in the present significantly I mean he is one of the the he's probably the best athlete they have on defense he can uh he's great in coverage he can do a lot for for a team so that was a weird move um right but you know the Belichick the hoodie He's a mastermind. He sees things his own way, and you got to look at his uh, his track record and the four rings on his finger as proof that the guy knows what he's doing. Yeah, and at this point, the kind of the interesting flip side is if Jamie Collins, you know, being that he's a free agent at the end of the year, I've I've heard he was asking for Von Miller money, which is ridiculous. Mm. Um, so New England was just kind of preempting. You know, that kind of contract negotiation by just shipping him off now and getting some kind of compensation. And of course, now the interesting thing develops is if, you know, if he leaves Cleveland at the end of the year, if he walks off and signs somewhere else, now they will get a compensative pick for him. Right. In Cleveland. Right. Well, again, good news for the Broncos is in the now, you know, when the Patriots have to travel to take on the Broncos in uh, week 15 that compensatory pick that they're going to get from Cleveland is not going to help them whatsoever 
on game day. So, you know, that's good news. And the Broncos chose not to make any moves. And we probably shouldn't be too shocked about that because, again, their offense uh, – or, excuse me, their roster is, is as stacked as they come. So let's, uh, let's take our, our first break. And uh, when we come back, we will preview the Broncos' Week 9 trip to the Black Hole. We'll take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag and uh, go around the league for some quick hits. We'll be right back. Oh, yeah. All right. Many of you listening to Huddle Up do so because you follow Mile High Huddle. You might wonder why some of our Broncos content requires a membership to read it or to watch it. It's what we call premium content. At Mile High Huddle, we offer premium memberships to our readers, and it gives them access to our most in-depth Broncos stories, whether it's all 22 film reviews, premium videos, player features, a lot of Broncos draft stuff, and more. Now, it costs $5 per month, or you could save $11 and sign up for an annual membership for $49. We give back to our premium members by not only providing the best Broncos content on the web, but also through discounts. Premium members receive 10% off on all tickets through Ticketmonster, as well as 10% off on Broncos team gear through Fanatics. Fanatics, of course, is the same merchandiser that is used by the NFL and the Denver Broncos. So, to put it in perspective, a jersey that would cost you 110 bucks through the Broncos website or at NFL.com would only cost you $99 through Fanatics using your premium membership code um, at checkout. Now, we don't want you to miss a single piece of our Broncos analysis, so do us a solid. Go to MileHighHuddle.com and sign up for a premium membership today. Okay. All right. Well, I want to share something real quick, Luke, with our listeners. Um, You know, you just heard about Mile High Huddle's premium membership benefits on that last break. And, you know, I just want to remind our listeners that Mile High Huddle and Scout, we just partnered up with Sports Illustrated, beefed up our premium membership offerings. So members who sign up now for an annual uh, premium membership get a one-year subscription to Sports Illustrated included on top of the savings on uh, tickets and, and team merch. So that's a $39 value. Go to milehighhuddle.com, click the join button, sign up. The value and benefits are are manifold, and you don't miss a single piece of our Broncos analysis. Like, in fact, a quick shout-out, a film feature that Adam Uribus just published Tuesday night on Lorenzo Doss. We've had a great response, though, from people taking advantage of the SI subscription. So thanks to everybody for that. But let's move ahead and, and focus on the black hole. Um, Broncos are 6-2. and two. They're going to travel, take on the 6-2 and two Raiders to battle it out 
uh, for first place in the AFC West. Now, talk about winning ugly, Luke. Oakland is coming off of one of the butt-ugliest victories I've seen in recent memory. They took down uh, Tampa Bay 30-24 to in overtime, but they tallied an NFL record 23 penalties. And I watched the film from that game. That number does not reflect, of course, the penalties that offset uh, or were declined. And it really was bizarre. But um, Oakland, they are the number six scoring offense. They're number five in total yards. They're number four in passing yards. They're number eight in rushing. Their offense is pretty much top ten across most key statistical categories. Derek Carr is now in his third season. And I don't want to go too far down the hyperbolic rabbit hole, but Halfway through the season, he's in the MVP conversation. He's already passed for 2,321 yards and 17 touchdowns while throwing just three interceptions. On the season, Carr has a passer rating of 100.9. And the guy, Luke, he can make all the throws. What strikes me is that the Raiders are really learning collectively how to win again. And they're getting it done even when they don't play at their best. And it's, you know, this is an explosive offense. We've talked about in the past on this show the, how stacked the offensive line is. The skill positions are stacked. They are a very formidable opponent. But on the defensive side of the ball, the Raiders kind of go downhill pretty quick. They're ranked 31st in total yards. They're allowing 410.4 yards per game. They're 28th against the run. They're 27th against the pass, all while managing to take down the quarterback just 11 times through eight games. But they have managed 13 takeaways, which puts the Raiders at plus seven in the turnover differential, and that's somewhat saving their bacon. The Raiders are, are, are feeling their strength right now. But still, Derek Carr took time uh, this week to give the Broncos their props. Um, listen to this, Luke. He said this of the Broncos, quote, the road to win the division goes through them. Speaking of the Broncos, the road to the Super Bowl goes through them. They're on top. Everyone wants to crown us because we haven't won for so long, and now we are. But we are, on, we are not on top. We respect everybody, but fear no one. Closed quote. So a nice little, uh, again, Carr giving some props to the Broncos, and it's true. I mean, the... the the division still goes through Denver. They are still tied for the division lead. They are the defending Super Bowl champs. So let's preview this game. We'll go through. We'll each share three keys to the game, whether it's matchups to watch, players, you know, game planning, etc. And we'll start with Luke. Yep. So my first key of this game is that the Broncos have to get to Carr. Um, you said earlier that that uh, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders might be the best receiving core in the league. Well. You know, Derek Carr is slinging it right now, and they need to they need to pressure him. They need to cause some uh, some kind of chaos in his mind. You know, we've seen it in years past. They were able to get to him. They were able to do that. Um, I'm thinking of the one year in particular when he had you know a forced fumble recovered for a touchdown. Um, he had another one where he you know. Actually, this may have been the same play now that I think about it. Had to throw a pass to an offensive lineman. You know, we've seen Carr get rattled and we've seen him make flustered mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just need to get in his head early and cause that all game long. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's definitely something I wanted to hammer on, too, is just get to this guy. We saw Von Miller uh, last, last year, the last time, in fact, the Broncos were in the black hole have that amazing highlight where he turned the corner and just took the ball away from Derek Carr. And uh, let's hope we can see more of that same thing uh, this time around. For me, the first thing really 
is Trevor Simeon. And, you know, we've already talked at length about how inconsistent he was last week. But on the road, in what will be an immensely hostile uh, environment, he's really going to be tested. I mean, last week's game was big because the Broncos couldn't afford to be swept by San Diego. But this game is huge. And really, you could argue it's the first game that Simeon's going to start where something beyond just winning or losing is at stake. It's the first place in in the AFC West is is on the line. And the Broncos still have to face Kansas City twice. Uh, They have to face Oakland again and the Patriots in their final seven games after this one. So, you know, we hear about Simeon's poise and his unflappability, and that's great. You don't want to get too low or, or too high, but I want to see some fire from this kid on Sunday. I want to see him, you know, lift this team, you know, because when it comes to um, the great quarterbacks, I mean, you can go through a litany of attributes that set them apart. The key that they all have in common, though, is that they raise all boats. You know, we saw Peyton Manning do it here. We saw him take a, a team that was 8-8 eight and eight the previous year and raise them to 13-3 and three, um, and, and the number one seed in the AFC. We see the Tom Brady's and the Aaron Rodgers of the world uh, do it elsewhere. Now, I'm not comparing Simeon to any of those guys, okay, but I want to see him lead this team. I want to see him be the reason they came out on top for once, not just a role player. And you could argue that, that he was the reason in week three when they beat Cincinnati on the road and he went over 300 yards and he had four touchdowns. That was a, that was a good game on the road, and that's the type of performance we need to see again. That's what a quarterback is supposed to do. I mean, the defending champs, they need him to step up this week. His, his coach is putting a little pressure on him internally and externally, talking him in the media. So this is the week, I think, that, that Trevor Simeon really needs to stand up and say, yo, this is my team. I'm the guy. Don't, don't stress. Don't worry. Let's go beat this snot out of Oakland. I'll be watching to see if he does. So what you're telling me is basically relax, as, as Aaron Rodgers once put it. <laughs> No, not so, something relaxed. like that. I'm I'm not <laughs> relaxed. I'm I'm very anxious about Simeon. I'm very, um, um, you know, and I've talked about it before that he's exceeded my my expectations for a long time. There, it felt like forever. The first three or four weeks of the season, I felt like you know, it's hyperbole, but it felt like I was one of the few guys that was seeing the forest through the trees. You know, seeing the good things that he was doing, but at the same time, like you talked about earlier in the show, Luke, where. Here we are, eight games into the season. We got to start seeing some market improvement in areas that that uh, are so key, and hopefully we can see that this week. Yeah, I agree. Um, one thing the Broncos need to do is, um, I, you know, I think a lot of people like to talk about Khalil Mack, um, and you know, he he obviously had such a dominant performance the last couple of years. Um, this year, he's just not the same kind of monster that he once was. Um, he he's you know totaled a very very kind of low total for him. Uh, Twenty seven tackles, five sacks, and a forced fumble through eight games, which is not a lot for a player like Khalil Mack, who you know who who has the ability to to take games over um, and to really dominate uh, rushing the passer. Um, he's just he's not been there this year. Um, he's just not kind of his normal self. Um, so I just you know that's one thing before before you start hear, hearing people kind of saying oh you know Khalil Mack. Um, you know he's he's not performing at that same rate um, this year that he has been previously. Uh, now I will also give this as kind of an unusual shout out. 
um, but uh, one the Broncos definitely need to be aware of, and that is special teams-wise, um, Joe DiCamillas has got to have an answer for Marquette King, um, the punter for Oakland, who is fifth in the uh, league right now in yards per punt. He is averaging 49 yards per punt. Um, just for just for comparison, um, Riley Dixon is 12th at 46.6. So you know he's getting an extra 2.4 yards per punt, um, and uh, not to mention we. We saw him kind of fumble the snap. Uh, it was last week against the Buccaneers and scampered for 27 yards. <laughs> I mean, this is a punter. You know, punter should not be running for 27 yards. Um, there's no reason this guy should be running. Uh, what was his 40 time? It was something ridiculous. It was like a four six seven or something. Um, you know, this is a punter. Like, this kid is a weapon. Um, he shows fire. He psychs this team up. I mean, he did the Ray Lewis dance in Baltimore. You know, you, it's not often you talk about a punter having a real impact on a team's psyche, but Marquette King is that kid for, for Oakland. Absolutely, yeah. And one thing, too, about Mac. I mean, I watched that game, um, as I mentioned last week, against uh, Tampa, and I, he did have a couple of sacks. I mean, he, he looked like he's starting to maybe pick up ahead of steam. And that's bad news for a Broncos team right now that, you know, the offensive line, I should say, that's one step forward, two steps back. So that is going to be key. Right. The, the next – oh, go ahead. Sorry, just to jump in. I mean, yeah. he's had sacks in three straight games right now, and we saw what he did last year against the Broncos. Right, the five sacks, four of which came at Michael Schofield's expense, which fortunately this time around he's not on the edge. He's not on the outside, Schofield, that is. He's playing right guard. So hopefully – you know, the, your uh, your Russell O'Coongs and, and your your Donald Stevensons can take care of business. But, um, you know, one thing I'll be watching I'm a little bit concerned about is Devontae Booker. And, you know, he, of course, had that terrible fumble on the two-yard line trying to extend for the pylon last week. Second lost fumble of the season. But that's not really what concerns me. What concerns me is that he banged up his shoulder um, really actually uh, early in the Chargers game, and I think it affected him. There was really only one one play I can think of just off the top of my head where he looked like the Devontae Booker that we expect him to be and that we've seen him be, you know, to talk about a head of steam. I mean, going into last week's game, Devontae Booker was really um, had a lot of momentum, and it didn't really materialize into anything in week eight. And now we fast forward to week nine, uh, he's got a shoulder. Gary Kubiak said he's not going to ask him to do too much this week from a practice perspective, characterized him as day-to-day. And that's not good news when, you know, your next two options are Capri Bibbs, who's 100% untested in the NFL and dropped a toss uh, last week, and Juwan Thompson, who, you know, he's had his day in the sun, you could argue. He's had a few uh, good games uh, in his, his short NFL career. He scored a touchdown last week. But... On the road, you know, you need your bell cow, and and I'm hoping that Devontae Booker is going to be healthy enough to not only play but make a difference. And in so doing, playing in that game in the black hole, the Broncos need to lean on that running game a lot more than they did last week, and Devontae Booker is going to be a key aspect to that. And so his health going in is something to monitor um, this week. And if anything that I wish the Broncos had kind of taken a look at in trading – 
it really would have been for a running back. I really just kind of would have liked to see another option because, you know, I'm sure that the offense had, you know, offensive coaching staff had a bit of a worrying, worried moment there when Booker came up injured because all of a sudden their depth chart was Capri Bibbs, Juwan Thompson, and a, a hobbled Andy Janovich, right. which by no means is an NFL run game. Yep. Um, one thing I think that the obvious, you know, the obvious thing about this game, um, uh, you know, Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, a fantastic duo, but I'm not sure there's any two receivers in the league right now better than Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree. I mean, Crabtree is tied for the lead uh, in the NFL in receiving touchdowns. He's had six. And Amari Cooper is on the brink, surprisingly, of 1,000 yards. I mean, he's third in the league in receiving yards at 787. So, you know, as well as Carr is slinging it right now, these two are catching the ball. I mean, it's, you know, this is a team right now that is set up to throw the ball. They don't have a run game to speak of. They want to throw the ball. And by God, they're going to do it. I mean, you know, uh, Crabtree's had 75 targets. Cooper's had 80. Hmm. This is a team that likes to throw the ball early and often. And so the no-fly zone, they're going to have to step their game up. Um, You know, uh, hopefully Tlaib will be back. Um, Chris Harris Jr. and Bradley Roby are all going to have their hands full with the amount of times that that Derek Carr likes to uh, just throw that ball. Absolutely. And we we talk about... You know, Demarius Thomas and Sanders being among the best uh, duos in the NFL. But right now, this is your two most productive duo, uh, or not two, but your most productive duo in the NFL right now is certainly Crabtree and Amari Cooper. So, yeah, I think getting to lead back, hopefully, you know, he's uh, on the road to returning because that's going to be key. But, you know, the last thing for me, um, I talked about this, I, I believe it was last week, but it goes back to coaching goes back to play design and game planning, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Gary Kubiak and, and Rick Dennison, they're known for scripting their first 15 plays uh, or so of the game. But they have to get more creative, I think, in doing so, and they have to remain balanced. I haven't been as disappointed of late in, in the actual uh, running plays themselves. They've been, I think, mixing things in um, pretty well. A good step in the right direction as far as outside stuff. You know, tosses, sweeps, the zone stretches. They're they're mixing that up. But if the Broncos come out and throw 15 times in their first 20 plays like they did last week, the coaches really are setting Trevor Simeon up for failure. And I said I wanted to see Simeon rise up, and I do. But he needs offensive balance. Against Houston, the Broncos' game plan was quintessential Kubiak, very balanced. And I know, as we talked about, Kubiak is frustrated. He's publicly criticizing the quarterback, his offensive line as well, the running game. His players are hearing that. And hopefully it'll light a fire and we'll see execution at the player level improve. But the coaches have to game plan better as well. Everything flows for the Broncos. Everything flows from the running game uh, in Kubiak's system. And once you show your commitment to that element, to the running game, everything else opens up. The play action the bootlegs, the downfield uh, routes. And yeah, you know, the players got to execute better, but the coaches have to execute better as well and put their, their players in better positions to succeed. Yep, I agree. Um, and I've already talked a little bit tonight um, about, you know, the role that I think coaching plays in this team and in, in this matchup in particular. Um, and I think that I think has to come through on Sunday night on a big stage. 
Right on. So let's predict this thing, Luke. We'll start with you. Your score prediction and a brief explanation. Yeah, I think that the Broncos will split the season um, with the Raiders. You know, it's not out of any kind of, you know, unimpressment with the Broncos. I just think that the two teams are too talented not to. Um, and so I do think they drop this one. I think they're going to lose uh, 31 to 24. Um, so it's a pretty close game decided by a touchdown. Um, ultimately, I just think that the the Raiders, they're going to get hampered um, by the Broncos pass rush, but they're, they're going to hit on a couple, couple long shots eventually. And I just don't see as of this moment um, – I don't think that Trevor Simeon is really going to be um, a guy who who can put this team on this on his back right now. I don't think he's ready to be that guy for this team. Um, and honestly, at this point, I think you know the the offensive line probably won't stand up um, for this kind of game. Uh, I think the the issue here for me is that if they lose this game now. They're going to be fired up. This team is going to be fired up. They don't want to lose again, and this could light a fire under them for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, I don't – I honestly, I'm not sure Simeon's ready to be that guy either, taking the team on his shoulders and, and doing the things like we've talked about. But, man, I just feel like he needs to. He's at that point. And our scores are similar. But what I have is at home, you know, I agree. The Raiders are going to score some points on the Broncos. They'll get a few lashes in. But ultimately, I think this defense is going to wear Derek Carr down. He's going to make some bad decisions, um, whether they lead to turnovers or, you know, just bad situations for the Raiders, good situations for the Broncos. I think Denver's offense is going to come out motivated. I think that all the talk in the uh, from the coaches, from Kubiak specifically, is going to create a fire, and I think they're going to produce some yards and they're going to produce some points. I have the Broncos winning 30-24. to 24. So you got them losing 31-24. I'm 30-24 victory. So we'll see what happens. A big game for the AFC West. First place is, of course, on the line. So let's take a quick question, Luke, from the mailbag. This week's question comes from Avery via the Mile High Huddle Facebook page. And be sure to give it a like, the Mile High Huddle Facebook page, uh, if you haven't yet. But Avery asks, we saw the Broncos running game nosedive without C.J. Anderson. Is this loss going to be felt more strongly um, than we originally thought. And real quick, Luke, before before you answer, you know, a little backstory. Right after we tracked last week's episode, the news about Anderson's injury broke, in fact, the next morning, tore the meniscus, which, by the way, bloggers, is not the MCL, in his right knee. After getting a second opinion, he underwent surgery to repair it, and he's placed on IR. Now, there is a chance, albeit a small one, that the Broncos could use their one um designation they get once a year to bring him back off IR after eight weeks but that's assuming the Broncos make the playoffs and assuming Anderson rehabs and recovers well enough and in time to be available he very well could but the Broncos promoted Juwan Thompson off the practice squad we talked about that rather than signing someone off the street or making a trade and they're probably right now Luke ruining their decision to maybe not uh, bring Justin Forsett into the fold when he was available on the street. But then Devontae Booker, you know, he's got that that shoulder uh, injury that's questionable there day-to-day. Didn't look like himself last week, but there was, I think, speaking to Avery's point, a marked difference in this offense without C.J. on the field. So is Luke Anderson's loss going to be felt more strongly than perhaps some people, and myself included? I'll, I'll put myself in that 
that category of people that really anticipated Devontae Booker, um, you know, to step in, and, and he still very well may. But is this a loss that, that might be felt more strongly than originally anticipated? You know, I think that's kind of the issue here. Um, I think it's not really the loss of Anderson so much as the the drop from Anderson to Bibbs because effectively that's what you have. Booker still stays on the field, but you're going from Anderson in a committee to Bibbs in a committee. Um, and Capri Bibbs has just shown so far that he just doesn't have – really the the ability to kind of be uh you know be that guy um and so it's it's at this point i think more a testament to the lack of depth at running back now if if this team had you know an adequate backup plan i think they would have been fine but at this point they just don't have that uh, and it the loss is that much is felt that much stronger yeah i'm not sure uh I don't know. I, yes. I, if, if I had to answer your question directly, Avery, I would say yes. The loss of C.J. Anderson is going to be felt more strongly um, than perhaps some people anticipated. And I think it's just going to take some time for the Broncos to kind of correct and get and, and yeah. get accustomed to life without him. Yeah. And, and thanks for the question, Avery. And ultimately, this is another one of those things where, like the offensive line, okay, we're halfway through the season. We know what we have in Booker. We know what we have in Bibbs. Now we have to scheme away so that, you know, so that we can have some offensive success. Absolutely. So real quick, before we get out of here, let's go around the league, Luke. There's a few interesting things to talk about. Uh, the first being, um, you know, we've talked a lot about the Minnesota Vikings on the show here in the quick hit segment. In a game nobody saw coming, the lowly Chicago Bears took down the Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football. Jay Cutler played very well, and usually when he does, his team comes out on top. But this is two games in a row, Luke, the Vikings have dropped. What do you think is going on in Minnesota? Well, I think part of this game was Minnesota just did not have an answer for Jordan Howard. You know, he's a rookie running back out of uh, out of Indiana, big dude uh, at six one. Um, I remember watching him, his tape in college, being impressed with him. You know, two hundred and to- uh, two total yards. That's a lot for a running back, um, and that's something that you need, you know, to find an answer for. And some of that comes down to coaching. Um, so Minnesota is just—they're kind of starting to slump at the moment, and I think they're getting lucky in that they're in a division um, that is not really conducive to uh, really to kind of them falling apart. In, in, I, I guess in the sense that you know the Packers. The Packers still, you know, who knows what's going on there. Um, obviously, they lost to the Bears. The Lions are kind of in this no-man's land. They're still a game clear in the standings, but it's it's one of those weird fluxes where they're on a downswing where other teams are on the upswing. Another team we've talked about a little bit here on the show are the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they played some of the worst football I've watched in a long time last week against Tennessee. And... I got I mean in your opinion I don't know if you caught the game Luke but has this team the players have they given up on Gus Bradley is it time for Shad Khan to move on you know, I think he, I think quite frankly, he's lost the locker room, and that is kind of the death knell for a lot of coaches. Um, at this point, I think they do need to kind of find an alternative because they know what they have in Gus Bradley, and that is just not getting the job done right now. Now, in a, in a surprise move, the Kansas City Chiefs put Jamal Charles on injured reserve. 
He tore his ACL last year, which was the second time uh, he suffered that particular injury in his career. Just couldn't recover, couldn't get back. How worried are you, Luke, as a, as a fan of football for Jamal Charles' career at this point? And let me couch you know, that by saying, you know, we're used to, in today's day and age of NFL football, you know, the guy, these guys need a, a season, if you will, of, of time to recover. I mean, but we're used to seeing guys now with modern medicine and, and sports medicine specifically come back from things like this in six and nine months, and yet Charles has struggled. You know, he's struggled and he's just not, he's just not, you know, been himself. And it it hurts to say that because, you know, at his, at his peak, he was, I think, quite clearly one of the greatest offensive players in football. Um, But at this point, he just hasn't been himself in a while. The injury, the recovery, uh, this may be the end of the line, certainly for him in Cleveland. Um, But even beyond that, it may be, you know, something we have to start thinking about. Well, let, let's hope he doesn't end up in Cleveland. That would definitely be a, a wreck to, to his career, whether he's healthy or not. Did I say Cleveland? <laughs> it's all good, man. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's pass the torch. A couple more things real quick. Um, I, I've, got, I've, got, I've got Cleveland quarterbacks on the brain. <laughs> yeah, the mess in Cleveland. Jamie Collins, hey, maybe he'll turn the ship around. But Cam Newton, though, Luke, criticized the officials um, for what he perceived as a multitude of non-calls um, last week against Arizona. Carolina, they did come out on top, but Cam said he's going to be talking to the ginger hammer himself, one Roger Goodell. His old teammate, Josh Norman, also came out, criticized the officiating in Washington's bout um, with Cincinnati across the pond. And actually, it was a pretty comical uh, audio clip. I should have pulled it for the show. But uh, talking about number 88, for those listening, if you haven't checked that out, Google it. It's pretty funny. But there, there has been some pretty bad officiating this year at times, Luke. Um, do these guys have a point or should they just keep their mouth shut and play football? You know, I think they do have a point because there, it's one thing for for you know coaches on the sideline to be like, "Hey, that was a bad call," or for fans on their couch to be like, "Oh, bad call, ref." But these guys, it's their personal safety. I mean, they're the ones out there taking the hits, taking the shots, and you know, in this particular instance, I think Cam Newton has a fantastic point that there was one hit that was clearly low, clearly could have injured him. And didn't receive a flag. And at that point, it's his personal safety. So I absolutely support him making his comments and being, hey, keep me safe here because this isn't safe. Yeah. And one other point to this is that there really has seemed to be this year an inordinate amount of of just penalties that are screwing up the flow of games that you don't always or typically see and it kind of reminds me in fact a little bit of the the strike a few years back when you had the the replacements you know effectively come in while the officials were uh, negotiating their their collective deal with the league come in and it's just kind of been off kilter I think we're even Kubiak's pointed to that in fact uh, in some of his press conferences in regards to the, the Broncos offensive line penalties and that you know it's happening around the league this and that so let's hope that um you know, the league gets that figured out because it is kind of fiddling with the flow of games. Last thing, we'll get out of here. We're running a little bit long. But last thing, Arian Foster has called it a career. He announced his retirement last week. And now Jay Ajayi has an open road uh, to the, you know, the bell cow role in Miami. He's coming off back-to-back 200-yard games, which put him in the record books. Two questions. Is Ajayi for real? And, of course, your thoughts on Foster's decision to hang up his cleats. 
Well, Foster retired this week. Um, Andre Johnson, or Foster retired last week, but uh, Andre Johnson retired this week. So we're seeing two offensive greats uh, hanging up the cleats. You know, former Houston Texans, both of them. Former Gary Kubiak players, certainly both of them. Um, so kind of the end of an era for both for both there. So we'll certainly. You know, I think I'll, I'll certainly miss them. Both are, I think, to me, borderline Hall of Famers. Yep. Um, in terms of Ajayi, I, you know, he was a guy in college who, who had some some kind of standout moments, but um, he did have a knee injury that was kind of this big medical question mark hanging over him. Um, and I think really what's interesting is look at his game usage. It's going to be interesting after this weekend because we know Adam Gase likes to ride the hot hand. Um, and right. he, you know, he may get the chance this weekend to be that hot hand um, and to see really what he can kind of get done again um, with, you know, with the ball in his hands. I, I certainly don't expect another 200 yard game. I'll start I'll start with there and we can go from that. Well, he better, man, because I picked him off <laughs> off the waiver wire on my lowly fantasy football team. So come on, bro. <laughs> it's it's gambling time here. It's, it's gambling time. But that's going to do it uh, for this week's edition of Huddle Up. As always, you can find Luke Polglaze on Twitter, at Luke Polglaze, myself, at Chad N. Jensen. And, of course, follow the Huddle Up podcast by subscribing on iTunes. Um, and for Android users, there's a variety of different ways, including iHeart and Stitcher and Spreaker and, and SoundCloud. But you can also follow the, the podcast on Twitter at HuddleUp underscore MHH. And uh, again, please be sure to subscribe and rate us. For Luke Paul Glaze, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll see you next week. Mile high huddle. So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me. Either way, you know being flexible is key to doing what you love. That's why Smoothie King created this stretch and flex smoothie for people like us. With whole fruits and organic veggies, plus type 2 collagen, make it part of your daily fitness routine to support flexibility and joint health. So try the stretch and flex smoothie in tart cherry or pineapple kale. Order online today for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Hey, don't forget the Johnsons are coming over. I want to find a rosé Jill hasn't tried yet. Let's go exploring at Total Wine. Their prices are ridiculously low. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, always low prices. Total Wine and more.